guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I am joined with Joe748 and our guest, Phantom, who is a former pit boss uh, from a casino I've, I've heard of a number of times. Phantom, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Joe, how are you doing? Good, good. Can't wait to hear all the secrets. <laughs> awesome. So let's get right right into it. Phantom, do you mind sharing kind of how you got into you got into advantage play before working for the casinos? Is that right? I I did, and that was kind of my uh, entry into working for the casinos for uh, approximately ten years or so. Um, I would say I started out probably about 25 years ago dabbling in blackjack and starting to learn a little bit about card counting, but I was by no means anywhere near an expert at that point. Um, actually remember vividly my first back off ever was 2006 at the Paris in Vegas. Um, and that kind of led me to start uh, trying to build my skill level a little bit beyond that. So um, I, I was actually backroomed before I ever knew what backrooming was or oh, wow. know, it really shouldn't be done. Um, and then yeah, maybe five years after that, I ended up uh, switching careers completely from what I was used to doing and trained to do. Uh, just to get into the, uh, you know, the, the casino industry. And I actually started out as a dealer for maybe a year or so. And uh, uh, after my supervisors, managers found out what I could do for them, I quickly became a suit and, you know, moved up the ranks. And, um, you know, very quickly, it was it was my job to focus on uh advantage players uh, if you would that's that's the proper term um but to uh, identify and uh, basically uh, you know remove as i'm sure you're both very familiar with um <laughs> so that's that's pretty much how i how i got into it um but i'm i, I must say I've, I've been back out for about a year and back into my previous career so i'm uh now I'm just looking to uh, you know help help everybody out, and I'm going back on the other side now. Right on. Welcome back to the good guys. <laughs> going back to the good side. <laughs> so what what's the typical casino employee's opinion of it in an advantage player? Their their typical view or opinion. Um, as I would say, especially upper management uh, really frowns on. Uh, advantage players. They're they're out to protect. Of course, they're out to protect their bankroll. They're out they're out to make their uh, you know their numbers, their hold percentages, and uh, they're extremely afraid of this play. Although I would say ninety five percent of them do not understand it. They don't really understand the ups and downs, and. Uh, you know that that person's not going to really beat you every time, or that they may not be as skilled as uh, you know they think most APs are. Um, so, so do you, you think that the typical uh, casino manager doesn't really understand the actual cost threat of an AP? They just are afraid of this theoretical threat. That 
<clears throat> that is a very that is a very true statement. They they are they are not aware of the you know the guy even the guy that's going uh, you know a bet spread of ten to a hundred on you they don't realize like how little of a threat he is to you. Um, what are they thinking that the like um, that kind of let's say take that kind of a player for example though ten to a hundred. What do they think they're walking away with on average? Like, do they see them come in, play, and they're like, "This guy's going to take ten thousand a day"? Or they, yeah, they want to stop it before it gets anywhere near that. They would that. I don't care if it's you know a few hundred, but um, yeah, they they just don't want to lose is the bottom line, and and they know that that's that's a true threat to their uh, you know their hold. Um, although they don't, again, they don't, they don't, I would say 95% of them don't understand, um, you know, what, what's involved. Um, that's it, it, where, where I worked, uh, for so many years, uh, it was my job to basically make the calls. Um, and I would decide whether you were allowed to continue playing or not, um, I was never actually the one to come over and talk to you because I didn't want anybody knowing who I was or you, you understand, um, keep me out of it basically. Um, and some of those, some of those calls may have been on, let's, let's say, um, Joe, you came, you come in on, uh, you know, grave shift, uh, six o'clock in the morning and play for a couple of hours. There may not be anybody there that's capable of even watching you, but they may record your play. And, and when, when I go in, I may be watching your play. And then, you know, then of course you're, you know, you're going to have your picture taken and all that. And, you, and we'll be looking for you next time you come in. So you may, you may get away with it here and there. It depends on, I guess, the property you're at, but, uh, so when they came to you with like a report, for example, would you watch the video of every single um, suspected AP or like what was anybody the that, that was suspected of being an AP was pretty much my task to uh, watch and to fill out a report on. And uh, I, I could I could tell you it's just funny because uh, when I would watch some saved play and I'm sure you guys have seen some pretty fast dealers. Uh, you know, being out there, but I always watch the saved play at double normal speed. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's like putting your DVR and double speed and uh, getting it done, getting a 15 minute shoe done in seven and a half minutes. So, um, you know, I was just looking to, to go through them very quickly. And I, I didn't have anybody even in my um, surveillance teams that could keep up with me hardly even at single speed. So so, so the surveillance <laughs> operators were not well They weren't well up, to, up to par, as I would say. So what percentage of pit bosses could accurately keep the count or, you know, knew what to look for, like bet fluctuations, stuff like that? Oh, I, uh, at the property I was at, and and uh, I don't think I mentioned, but I was actually I was, I was actually at two different properties over over my years um, as a supervisor. But um, I would say less than five percent could really keep an accurate count and and make a 
what I call a good judgment call. Because to me, if you don't make the right decisions, you don't have the right bet spread, um, then yeah. oh, I'm playing. So, so that was my that was my theory. I would I, I would give you the benefit of the doubt until you basically prove to me that you knew what the count was and you were moving your money up and down or bowing out of a negative shoe or going wide. I mean, there's you know there's all kinds of tells that um, uh, as soon as you show me enough of those, then I you know I know a hundred percent. But if you don't have the bet spread, then you can keep on playing. So, so the rest of the players, was it more that um, you were just, or the or the rest of the pit bosses, I mean, they're just looking for, oh, this guy looks like a card counter, like he's moving his bets, and so then they would call surveillance or something like that? They, they, they would, um, and I'm, and I'm sure you've seen the, you know, the typical pit boss that likes to stand next to the table with their arms crossed and they're, you know, intensely yep. watching you. It may be just because you're high action. I mean, maybe you're playing $500 hands. Um, they've just may be watching a new dealer. So you, you may not even necessarily be getting any heat at that point, but the, uh, yeah, the the just because they're watching you doesn't mean that they're capable of making a judgment call. Um, but yeah, they they may call it in to have it saved for later to have somebody like me review it and make the final call. Did you ever have any players where it's like, okay, yes, they're definitely counting, um, but they're just not good enough, or they're making some mistakes that make him a losing player like was there anything like that i actually i've had a couple that i i knew they were aware of the counts so they they just wouldn't spread their money like they they would be say at a ten dollar table they might go to fifty dollars but that was the max you would ever see out of them and i would just let them play i mean that's i mean you know we know a, a five times bet spread on a eight that game is not enough yeah. big enough spread to be a threat. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, wh- one of the things you said a few minutes ago, you said that they would record it and you would watch it later. I was thinking about that, that, you know, there's, I, this is why I tell people if playing conditions are good, keep playing. Just play because, your game is my, yeah, my advice. Yeah. Just keep playing your game. And I, I'll tell you, and I, and I have, I, I've, I've played very little since I've been working in the industry only because, you know, of, of having other relationships. So I'm just now starting to get back into it. Um, but I will tell you, just, you know, just keep playing your game. If that if that pit boss or whoever comes over and wants to stand next to the table and cross their arms and stare at you, um, you know, ha- start a conversation up with them. Ask them, you know, how's it going or ask them you know what's open to get something to eat or hey can you call a waitress i need a drink or you know see if they'll walk away from the table to go pick up the phone and call for a waitress or something yeah because it it could be you know you could say well i'm going to keep sessions super short you know well that's fine but otherwise you know if you've played for a couple hours and there's no heat you know it could just be that the the you know, person like you at that casino, they're they're not on that shift, and they're going to evaluate your play before. Because some people, it's like, okay, I played two hours, I'm going to leave, I'll come back tomorrow. Well, they might evaluate your play, and you're toast tomorrow. But you could have played right, another correct. six six hours straight. 
Yes, until until you uh, until you get that tap on the shoulder, <laughs> then uh, I would just encourage everybody to just keep playing your game and, um, of course, try to make it look as innocent as possible. I mean, carry on conversations with the dealer, the the pit people, uh, maybe even others at the table. You know, make comments or um, you have to not look the part is the hardest thing. Totally. That's good. Good advice straight from the source. So yeah. what are the what are the, the triggers that might get them to call surveillance? Like, uh, you know, if a, a dollar amount or betting amount or size of bet spread, is there anything like that that people should know? OK, this is what's going to get the call up to surveillance or at least in your uh, your properties. Right. So. Um, as far as that goes, if you, of course, you you know you want as much time as you as you can get on the table without getting any heat at all. So you you naturally don't want to do a. The first thing is never do a huge buy-in. Um, if you're, I mean, you're playing a even a twenty-five dollar game. I wouldn't buy in for more than three to five hundred max on a twenty-five dollar game because it just, you know, if you go past a certain point. Every casino is going to have their um, their sheet where okay, so he Joe just bought in for two thousand, so that's our limit. Now I got to let the shift manager know, and everybody knows Joe's in for two grand out of his pocket when he just sat down, and now he's playing quarters. So why did he buy in for that much? That's that's going to put you under scrutiny right away. So well first thing is never do never do a huge buy-in and uh i think it's always best to act like you're the typical gambler and if the count gets good and you want to throw it in you you're chasing your money like oh i'm losing and you know i'm going to whip out some more cash and buy in again and that that just looks like the typical gambler um instead of you know doing the huge buy-in um the other thing to to keep off the radar i would say is if if you do start winning and this is something i've learned to do over the years too is is keep keep what you can off of the table and uh you know scroll your chips away and leave only enough on the table to really play your game with so if you've got another player that's playing black chips at the table and you can get away with scrolling you know, a couple thousand in your pocket. The floor person's not paying attention. They have to account for those chips. Um, who's got them? And if they don't know, they can only guess. Um, but if they're sitting right in front of you, they know that you've got four thousand in blacks in front of you. So, squirrel, squirrel your chips away is another good uh, piece of advice. Yeah, I mean, I agree because I don't think there's there's like no reason to have a bunch of chips out in front of you. Um, Red flag. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after like a counter does get caught, how long typically does it take for the casino to kind of forget that they were there? Are we talking like two weeks, two months, a year? Like you, uh, you may be forgotten in a day or two. Um, no, at least where I was, nobody really seemed to remember what anybody looked like or what happened but i just had this crazy uh you know memory where i just seemed to remember everybody and i could walk in and be like oh there's colin again uh you know he was 
uh, asked to leave like nine months ago and um sure enough there's his you know there's his picture in the in the book and uh but he's sitting there playing because nobody remembers him but uh yeah. i would say it's it you're really you're really not remembered that that often unless unless you've been um you know backed off multiple times at the same property and become a a, a problem that's then i would say you're you know more going to be looked for directly and that seems like kind of the similar thing of the person that backed you off last time might have to be there otherwise if if they're not on Correct. that shift they might not there might be no one there that that remembers there will remembers be no you. one there just play your game like it never happened and I want to go back to what you're saying about buying in because this is something that we always practiced, which it's, you know, I'm just confirming what you said, but we always taught our players to buy in just as much as you need to. And then if you have to buy in more, and I know that can slow the game down to keep buying in, but, you know, there's no reason for the casino to know that you brought more money with you than, than you need to buy in with. And that's kind of how gamblers are. They're not assuming they're going to lose. They're assuming, you know, they're going to fire. So I always taught people... You know, buy in a couple big bets. So if your top bet is, you know, two spots of three hundred dollars, well, buy in six hundred, and uh, you know, don't buy in more than that, even though you might be buying in for another six hundred in a few minutes, because uh, it just looks it looks odd to be buying in, and and you're kind of confirming it. Not just that it doesn't look odd, but that might trigger, hey, I got to let everyone else above the chain of command know know about this guy. Right, and depending on the size of the property, they may have a very low, um, you know, threshold for what the buy-in is before they have to let the, um, you know, the shift manager or whatever, somebody up higher up with the food chain know that, you know, Colin's in for two thousand right out right out of the the, the box. Um, Probably. So it's yeah, you don't want to you don't want to trigger that right away. Yeah, well, I'll deal with it. Uh, but I'll buy in more when I need to. Right. That's I'm exactly. not going to be afraid of it. But yeah, why why bring more scrutiny until you actually need to? That's good. So one of the things when when we talked on the phone uh, the other week, you're you were saying that you guys would share information with other casinos in your area. How far did those those flyers uh, go? when when uh you would send it out or, or the bolo or whatever you guys called it yeah i i would say uh you know probably about a a two hour driving range is uh, is a good estimate when there's um you know like a concentration of casinos in in your area um of course if i was you know thinking vegas i would think you know the entire area is everybody's going to get it right away but uh, those flyers are your your picture, your car that you appeared in, uh, whoever you walked in the door with or walked out the door with, everybody's going to be sent down the line well before you have a chance to get to the next place. Um, that's you know that's just that's that's just something that you've got to expect. So if you if you're in an area where there's a concentration and you want to go to another property, I would, and I don't know how you normally would advise this, but I would advise if you really want to get some time in, bring a complete change of clothes. So even if you didn't get heat and you don't think you got caught, 
I would still change my lookup before I went to another property in the area. Yeah, I think that's valid. I always wondered this, like, um, let's say you have 10 casinos or so that are within that two-hour drive. Was there some kind of, like, agreed-upon meeting of all of them where they're like, let's all be in this email thread together and share AP info, or is it more of, like, a general process where you just upload it to buy? No, it's basically a thread where everybody's sharing. Everybody's got everybody's emails, and it's all just blasted out. Yeah. And is it is it all... Um, suspected APs like this guy's betting ten to a hundred. Be beware. Um, it would be for me to send you out. I would had to have um, you know a hundred percent been convinced that you were an AP. Whether whether I had the chance to back you off or not, like I said, it may have happened on another shift, and you may have got away with playing for six hours and left the property. And and I, um, you know, I. I may not see the video for a day or two until I till I would get in and see it. So, but when but when I would, then you know, of course, that's that information is going to travel on. So, that, that's why I would just you know again encourage you just play your game and don't don't be scared. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's really good hearing it from someone that's worked on the other side because we could tell people, hey, don't be scared. But but to hear you know hear you saying it, I think maybe maybe we'll have a little bit more more power. But when when you got uh, whatever that email thread or a flyer from another casino, how far out did those come from? Uh, again, I would say I would say about a two hour range, maybe you know, driving distance, maybe 100, 120 miles, maybe. Cool. That's... So it's a pretty good, pretty good, uh, you know, network. And of course, if you go into a um, <clears throat> You know, a, a nationwide uh, property like Harris, for example. You know, they're gonna, you're gonna be in their database all over the country. So yeah, using it's probably, facial recognition or whatever, they're, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna have you in their database. It's, it's probably it's probably good for people listening to know that it's not all, all regions that do this. You know, there are plenty of places right. that I've gone to. And I get backed off from one casino, and the casino next door. You know, doesn't get the memo. They or, may or not. Yeah, yeah, they may not do that. But uh, I think it, I think it would depend on this on the size, basically. So, so when you would uh, back someone off, was it like standard procedure to always ask for ID from the player? Um, and again, I wasn't the person physically backing you off, but uh, typically the security, along with maybe a shift manager or somebody, you know, on that line, um, would ask for ID. Um, always ask for ID because you always want to know who you're dealing with. Um, I would say very rarely, like less than I don't know, less than five percent of the time, would we ever know who you were. Um, beforehand but it's amazing that the number of people that just offer their id i would say was greater than 50 percent are willing to give up their id which i'm going to advise you do not give up your id just um as far as being an ap and 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 they want to accuse you of being an ap and they'd let you know um you know you're you're basically no longer welcome here and you're done um is to just quietly bow out and uh, you know grab your chips and 
you can go to the cage if you want or if you feel like it's safe. But if you think there's going to be a problem, then I would just exit and worry about that later. Um, that's that would be my, you know, my advice. Never, never give your ID up. You, you, you don't want them to know who you are. Very good, very good advice. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of, especially new people, they they just get intimidated and they do it. But uh, very good advice for people to hear. And of course, I, like I said, the first time I I ever got backed off was 2006, and at the Paris, and I was actually staying there on a on a five night comp. So it was the last <laughs> day of my five night comp. Oh, nice. So they knew who I was, but. Let's say, yeah, let's say, uh, <laughs> let's say somebody shows up to to your casino and they're like they're spreading really big, um, and sometimes it seems correlated with accounts. Sometimes not. Like, what are some of the things that were just like immediately make you write them off as like a winning player? You know, someone with a huge spread that may or may not be counting. You're not really sure. Like, um, I mean, of course. Of course, some people like to do the big the big spread and and put big hands out if um, as cover play. I, I don't I don't I say I, I don't really believe in cover play. I believe in a little bit of cover play, but not to the point of risking your your uh, bank for it. Um, I you know I, I typically would would probably let them continue to play um, and. You know, then that brings to mind thinking about, well, are they, um, you know, the ace tracking or, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, depending on what shuffle you're using, that may or may not be possible. Is that something that you guys discussed, your casino? Like, okay, this isn't a trackable shuffle or or this is exploitable, but we're going to use it anyway because it saves time? Or do you have any idea how those decisions are made? Uh, actually, I was uh, I was very much a part of the, of the decision of uh, getting our shuffle changed to one that was not or less trackable. Um, Be- was it because some people were beaten up on, on the shuffle? Uh, I I don't know if that was the reason. I kind of brought it up as a, the the shuffle we had if, um, originally was was I would consider it very trackable. It was very basic shuffle. Um, but um, you know, then we later I later got them onto another shuffle which was not trackable and also. And if I tell you this part, you'll know where I got it from is, um, you know, I believe in cutting off a half a deck off the end of an eight deck shoe. So um, I'm not, you know, most of your old time Vegas, Atlantic City type uh, uh, supervisors want to cut two to three decks off of an eight deck shoe. But my whole theory was I'm. You have to remember at the time I'm working for the casino. So what is the casino? How does the casino make their, uh, you know, their their money? Is it's all time and motion. So I need to get as many hands as I can out to Colin. Yeah. Um, in in the hour that he's going to be here to play. So I don't want to be wasting my time shuffling by cutting through. Well, so we Phantom, so we actually yeah. went to cutting like a half a deck off the end of an eight deck shoe, and I figure. Yeah, people opposed it, but I my theory was okay. Let me let you get that deep into the shoe, and I want to see really, you know, what 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 do you have? Like, what's your what's your skill level? Like, are you really going to show me your bet spread when you get to a true plus five and there's a deck left? 
That's you know? that's because oh. you were thinking uh, like an AP, and then right, the but casino I'm is, the <laughs> yeah, they're they're just scared, and so they're cutting off, you know, their nose to spite their face. They're costing themselves money because they're scared of the point one percent they could actually right. possibly Rivers pose a threat. Not on that level where they're you know they're capable of beating them, but yeah. they were afraid. Uh, was there ever any sort of cover that threw you off and then later you know maybe you let them keep playing you're like oh actually they are and you know they are playing with the advantage um that's a good question but i would say no um i would think no one ever like got one over on me like that um i i had had many i would say many and you know in 10 years i would say 10 to 20 people wonder how they got caught so fast. Hmm. And, you know, a lot of it is just the, the, the things that I'm saying is, you know, leaving your money on the table and, and, you know, doing the big bet spread or, you know, the AP always wants to sit in seat one or seat six <laughs> and, um, you know, just looking like an AP it's, it's, you know, you're, you're sitting there, there's, concentrating staring at the cards i mean we even had people that would uh, move their lips with the count trying to count <laughs> they would be like talking to themselves like really it was hilarious at some times yeah. of all the counters like what, what's the percentage of people who are kind of like that who had that sort of eyes down on the table like i, I you know I, I would say more than half the people are just too intense um and and staring at the table and trying to watch every card i mean i i i like that you know i got to the point where i i would sit and carry on conversations with people and you know you can hear the cards coming out so you you know you don't look at them till they all come out anyway and you may you may just glance and say okay the dealer's got the dealer's got a six up. Nobody's going to take a hit and nobody's going to bust. So I'm not even going to watch people as they take a couple hits. I'm just going to look at it all as the dealer's doing their pay and takes and just not pay attention. And that's that's how I would catch a lot of people because they would think I'm standing there and I'm not looking at the cards like they're looking at the cards. But yeah, I was I mean, I was to the point where I didn't I didn't need to stare at the cards. I could I could sit there and talk to you if you were if you were somebody I knew, I could sit there and talk to you like how's how's the wife and kids doing, what's new? And I'd still be running the table down while I'm sitting there talking to, you know, another player that I may be very familiar with while I'm watching somebody else. And they just have no idea that they're being run down while I'm standing there. Have you um ever had a situation where you had you know, definitely had a winning player in there but they were tipping like way too much to the point where they're not they don't even have an edge anymore oh um, i would say no not the ones that i run across like most aps uh would tip little if any mm-hmm. like That's what would be enough that much they would, my experience yeah like what would be the amount where it would be like okay yes they're definitely counting they're accurate they're a perfect player but they're spending like how much tip is is enough for you to be like well just let them keep playing like it's worth having them here for the tip um you know that's that's a tough uh, i mean if, if let's say you're doing a 500 dollars max bet and you threw 
uh, I mean, typically you throw a bet up for the dealer. They're not going to just, you usually just won't throw money at the dealer. They would bet for the dealer. But I mean, even, even a quarter, I mean, it, it wouldn't matter if you were tipping the dealer $100. To me, If when I was doing it, if you were an AP, you're an AP. I don't care if you tip the dealer the whole amount you won. <laughs> so for me, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Well, you know, think of, it, think of it from the casino's perspective. Uh, you know, a card counter could be tipping away their edge, but they're giving it to the, the dealer. dealer. They're, they're taking the casino's money Correct. and giving it to the dealer. Like the casino still wants to get rid of you. Correct. <laughs> What's... Yes. Uh, of like of all the black chippers that are in the room, not APs, which is regular gamblers, like how how what percentage of them like were bad tippers or didn't really tip at all? Uh, the 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 black chip players were usually really good tippers. I mean, they were they were the ones tipping, uh, betting red chips for the dealer. Sometimes betting a green chip for the dealer on on top of a five hundred dollar or plus bet. Um, uh, you know they're 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 great for the dealer. If you're making your living being a dealer, then you you really you know want that kind of uh, of a player. Um, but again, I wouldn't if they were an AP and they were tipping too much, or they they should know not to tip that much. But uh, um, I would uh, I would I would still back them off as as you would say. Would you consider it? Is it a red flag to you, somebody playing black or table max and not tipping at all? Or do you just chalk it up to, oh, the person is just cheap or whatever? No, because, yeah, I would just chalk it up to they're their just being cheap. And, and some you get you get $10 players that are the same way that they just, some people just don't, they just don't tip. It's, that's just, that's just the way they figure the casino should be play, paying the dealers. And in fact, you know, most, most casino dealers, unless, um, you know, if it's, if it's not a complete go for your own tips, um, you know, they're, they're making very little money hourly from the casino. So, yeah, I think it's just like important for, cause we get this question a lot at a lot of boot camps and stuff like that, where, um, people think, you know, oh, if I continuously tip, you know, $10, you know, through, yeah, I could. Well, I, mean, I could tell you the way I I would do it when I was going out and playing more often. Um, I would typically tip when the count was, you know, the true count was very high, and and I would put um, and and not nickels, but I would put dollars across the whole table for the dealer. So that was the extent of my tipping, only because I, I kind of felt obligated because a lot of my friends were dealers. And, uh, you know, there's just kind of a little, there was still a little bit of a connection there. It's like I didn't want to waste the tip. So I, you know, I'd wait till they had an advantage and I would put a dollar across the table on everybody's bet for the dealer. That's creative. So how you not for you, but just to the general uh, casino employee, how suspicious do you think it is when a player sits out? Um, that's that's a that's an excellent uh, thing right there. That that is a huge no no. That um, that will get you caught um, just as fast as leaving too much money on the table. Uh, if you're winning, because the dealer is going to complain that you're tying up their seat and you're not tipping. And 
you keep quit playing for some reason and they don't know why, but they'll bring it to supervisor's attention. Um, so I, I would, again, I would, I don't know what you guys, you know, teach, but I would uh, recommend for the most part playing through the rough spots and just use your, you know, use your index plays and, you know, play it to the best of your ability, even though you've got a minimum bet up and, and, and this, this brings up another thing with cover play. So even though let's say I'm down to, I got a true negative four and I'm still playing and I should be getting up and not playing the rest of the shoe. But if I play through it at a true negative four, that shoe now looks like a Spanish shoe to me because now I'm at true negative four. So I'm going to hit every 12, every 13 that comes out. And, you know, if I hit 13 with a six up and I got a true negative five or, you know, people are going to think you're stupid. But, I mean, I'm just trying to survive and, you know, get yeah. through it. So instead there, of hopping up, because getting up and hopping up is just so, um, it's so much of a, of a tell. It's 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 not good because usually the ones that get up, they'll get up. They won't play the shoe. They'll stand close enough to watch, and they'll they'll jump back in the beginning of the next shoe. But then they'll be on their phone, either texting or calling somebody, or but then they're you know they're very aware of what's going on. They're right back in with a with a base bet at the beginning of the yeah. next shoe, which is another you know telltale sign. Yeah, it's it's a tough you know tough situation. I think to your point, you know there there have been plenty of times where the best thing to do is to play through. Maybe it's the only table and I'm heads up. And uh, my favorite index play is on a hit 17 game, hitting a hard 17 against an ace. It's at yes. true negative four. And you yes. just look like the biggest idiot hitting a hard 17. Not but, when you pull the, not when you pull the four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think that what people need to evaluate is some people, their bankroll, they just can't afford to do it, you know? And you need to know that. You need to know with the betting software, if you can afford to play through the whole shoe, and if you can't, don't look like an amateur. Don't do it what, you know, Phantom's saying, and hover at the table and watch every card and wait, oh, it's back to a zero, I'm going to jump back in. Like, actually leave the table. If you have, to go, if you have to go to the bathroom, maybe you have a bad bladder or something. Actually, yeah, like, go into the bathroom and come back. Don't... Yeah, don't hover, don't hover near the table. And if, if possible, go to a different table. You know, that looks natural. Like, oh, I don't want to play this table anymore for whatever reason. You know, go to a different I, table. Yeah, I, I yeah, I would do that. I'd just be like, I, I just can't win at this table. I'm gonna I'm gonna go check out, you know, this other table. But but then again, that's another um, you know, that's another one of the telltale signs too. You don't wanna yeah, I, I call I, I called several people also where they they would jump tables. But they only jump when the guy next door is right at a fresh shuffle. Yeah. And you could tell by watching them that they're watching for fresh shuffle so I can bail and go somewhere else. So if you're going to move tables, you know, say there's, you know, you, you might have 10, 15 hands left in the other shoe. I would advise if you really don't want to bring any uh, suspicion on yourself, go over to the other table, play table minimum. And just play basic strategy until you get through the rest of the shoe. Don't wait. I mean, you can wait for a new shoe, but I'm just saying it's it's more of a tell if you're going to yeah. keep waiting for new shoes. So just yeah, hop maybe. in. And I would just hop in and play basic strategy and get through the shoe. I mean, what what are you going to lose? I mean, you're you're maybe at what a half a percent disadvantage. Yeah. At, you know, no big deal. That makes 
That makes sense. Play. You got two decks left. You change tables. You can just play through the two decks at a small disadvantage. But but I'd also say, you know, Phantom, you're you're smarter than the average casino personnel. So what stands out to you probably doesn't stand out to everybody. Right. There. They haven't. Yeah. Most. I would. I would say 99% of the you know supervisors are in in my position or where they were in the position that I'm in. Um, you know, just they're not going to think like me because they've never been on the other side. So fortunately, I've been both. I remember jumping to another table and I overheard the pit bosses say something like, "Oh, he like left that table." It was that a really positive count? I was like, "No, like they just counted wrong. Like it wasn't." That yeah, that 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 happens too. Again, they just you, you can't assume that just because they're in that position that they're capable of of you know analyzing your play properly so i i i know your properties you were the guy responsible for you know getting a card counter backed off but in your experience do you know if it's more often surveillance or the pit um as far as that and again i've you know i made a lot of friends in 10 years at different properties in the area and stuff so um as far as the pit versus surveillance. I'm going to say that very rarely would you get picked up by surveillance, um, especially in a, a medium to larger size casino, because they just they just can't watch everything, um, you know, and run a shoe down out of the blue uh, until they get a trigger. So if they say, "Hey, um, you know, the guy with the purple uh, polo and the baseball cap on just bought in for." two grand on BJ 212, um, you know, that may trigger a phone call for them to now they're going to watch you. Um, but for surveillance to just blindly catch you, I'm going to say is very rare. Um, you're really going to, you're really going to need to do one of those triggers to bring, you know, you're basically bringing heat on yourself. Um, otherwise the, the, the pit personnel, the shift manager, whatever it may be, they've got other things going on, and you're you're really not a priority. And and until you say, hey, look at me, I just bought in for two grand, or I just went from twenty five to two hands of five hundred. Um, that's yeah, that that would be my my advice or take on that. So speaking of betting two spots of 500 how much of a red flag is it when when someone's betting black or table max without a player's card um that's not playing without a player's card for me really wasn't that big of a deal because i i just felt like most you know, most people that would play black chips, um, I would say more than fifty percent, just they just want to be anonymous. They don't, they just have money and they just want to play and have fun. So, um, it, it really wouldn't, it wouldn't trigger anything just because you don't have a card. That's good to that's good to hear. You know, I I've, we've heard a lot of different advice or, or thoughts on that. Some people are like, oh, you have to use a card. It's the biggest red flag. But, you know, if you're Joe 748 or Colin Jones, you know, you don't want to be uh, playing, you know, playing with a player's card. And so no. uh, it's good, good to hear it's not the biggest red flag. Definitely, definitely not. Um, like during back off, like 
I think all of us have had a situation where, you know, it's just a really bad night for us. We get backed off and, you know, it might be a little rude to the staff during the back off. Does that affect like, like do casinos want to get more revenge and send your flyer out to like more places if you were, you know, let's say a little bit too rude during a back off or. Um, I don't, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to get you any more, um, you know, famous as far as, uh, being fired quicker or to more places. Um, I think that network is already established and you're, you're going to be fired, you know, wherever you were going to be fired, whether you quietly left or didn't quietly leave, you know, again, the best thing is to just quietly bow out and, uh, you know. I, I know, you know, people do have bad, bad days, bad nights. You may be down many thousands and you, you, you may be the best AP there is and be down, you know, five, 10,000. I'm sure you, you guys have been down more than that, but um, <laughs> I've read the stories. But yeah, uh, yeah, the, the, the most important thing is to just try to try to get out without causing a scene, I would say. Is I, I now I'm wondering is there some some back off that, that Joe has in mind for maybe you? <laughs> yeah, did you experience was, something uh, where Phantom was working one time? I don't know. Uh, it no, might I be just, me too. You know, I, I've always just been curious. Like you know, I don't I don't like to be rude and in, in general and and in that situation. But it's just like I've just always wondered at the back of my head. Like if I just you know lost my cool, like would it? Would it make it worse? Like, do they have a personal vendetta, or is it just sort of standard? No, procedure? it may trigger a visit by the police, though. And you, you know, <laughs> versus just the security of the casino, you don't want to get to a, you know, the official police involved at that point sure. because you're getting out of hand or something. Well, I know um, some of some of Tommy Highland's best advice is to be forgettable, and if yes. you're making a scene, you're definitely not being forgettable. Correct. Yeah, the less you uh, make a scene and you just quietly leave, yeah, they're they're going to forget about you more. Would you have happened to know like anyone who worked at well, that? Um, I believe it was uh, Rhode Island, that state where when they back you off, basically it's an immediate trespass, and they have to have the police there to see through the back off. I'm just um, I personally have never been to Rhode Island. I know people that went to that property but i have not had conversations with them since they've been there all right cool, but yeah. i just i'm not familiar with take, that but yeah your take is like a you know previously casino management like i just feel like that's so much overkill it's just like a waste of time on the police departments i yeah, i believe so too <laughs> I, hey, this and, this guy's using their brain while playing. Let's get the police here. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that's a whole that's a whole nother subject. I I believe. <laughs> so do you do you ever uh, have you ever seen any just high roller gamblers splitting tens? Um. I would no, not not that I can uh, not that I can recall. I mean, even your even your uh, you know local uh, players that you know play table minimum all day long, or the grandma who's seventy years old that just likes to play knows you don't split tens, <laughs> and uh, 
even the you know the really drunk uh, you know high rollers, uh, I, I rarely would see anybody split ten. So um, I have I have, however, caught AP splitting tens. <laughs> Yeah. By by that telltale sign, but uh, by then it was um, you know it was already done and gone, and they were probably three states away by the time I saw the video. <laughs> what about uh, what about insurance? Do you ever see high rollers like buying insurance when they have a big bet out? Or um, they always buy insurance, no matter what. They, wow. they just love ins- They love insurance. Wow, that surprises me. Nice. Yeah. They, they, the, the high roller that's not a, not an AP loves insurance. <laughs> you know, going back to the splitting tens things thing, I, I wonder how much it's regional. You know, I think there's some, especially in my experience on in the East Coast, players seem to be a little bit smarter. Um, not not necessarily like advantage players smarter, but seem to know basic strategy a little bit better. And there are some places I've been where I have seen. People betting purple and splitting tens, you know, during a terrible count. Um, I mean, I've seen a guy betting black and doubling hard fifteens, and you know, just some terrible just decisions. Just because they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I wonder if any of that's geographical or or not. It's not good for your bankroll. <laughs> Sorry, did did you ever like? Um, so it sounds like at your property it was it was sort of like you kind of evaluating the play and then making the call, but was it? Ever a situation where it's like you relied on the databases and the and the pick not a flyer but just like this unknown shows up. Let's run his face through the database and see what we get, and then looks like we got a match. They uh, that was that was very rare. I mean, uh, I I had some heads up that people were coming. You know, that people were in the area and you know maybe stopping in or or whatnot. So. You know, once I saw their picture, that's pretty much it. I I just if I saw if I saw Joe's picture and I you know talked to me six years later, I would know there's Joe again. Um, and I think I, I I don't know if I should go off on a tangent with that, but I think I told Colin uh, I you know I I ran into a player a few months back that uh, actually I had backed off about six years ago. <laughs> and recognized him, and uh, we had a great conversation. We actually got a chance to play at the same table. So that was a at, that was really strange uh, incident. But after I reminded him of the uh, incident, he remembered me. <laughs> so you ran into him at a different property. At a different property that was yeah. Uh, yeah, like probably close to a thousand miles from my home. Oh, funny. That's yeah. funny. Colin. Should I put my video on and see if he remembers me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be, be pretty fun. Uh, and, and he, and we can do that later. I may have your picture here. No. <laughs> any favorite back off story or or players you've evaluated, like ridiculous acts or cover or anything, come to mind? Um, as far as far as. Um, yeah, ri- ridiculous acts. I don't know, but me and a couple of my friends have developed some pretty good acts. But uh, um, over, I don't know. Another another strange. We were talking about splitting tens earlier. So I'll tell you about. I I had the opportunity to review play after it happened because a shift manager had noted that, and this was a female AP. 
had jumped in near the end of the shoe with a $500 bet and ended up splitting tens, ended up winning both hands, and then left. But they did save the play, and I watched it later, a day or two later. And the shift manager says, well, I don't think anything's going on. I just wanted to save it, uh, you know, and uh, I'm watching the video. And of course, you know, from the beginning of the shoe, even though they didn't jump in towards the end, but uh, the person was standing maybe six to eight feet off the table and ran the entire shoe down. Um, and, and got it. I forget what the count was, but it was a very high, you know, positive count and just hops right in there with 500 and and splits the tens like they should and caught the cards and won both hands and went on their merry way and left and that was it they never they never got backed off but um i, I if i saw that person today i still remember what they look like though <laughs> that's that's pretty crazy i you know if, if they waited till a true four or something to jump in that's a lot of ev they left on the table waiting for that good count yeah to just play it's a hand so I don't know why some people think like that. I actually have a friend that I that I trained years ago, and and he likes to do the same thing. He he likes to wait till at least a true plus four before he'll jump in. That's crazy. And then he likes you to jump in get, close to table max. Yeah, you just don't get very many, you know, bets per hour, so you can't make much no. money that way. No, but he's very patient. <laughs> <laughs> I think it feels like for some people they might have the impression they think that like oh if I waited a true four or five then my risk will be less like like they think that the the higher the true count the lower the the chances are of losing the amount like as often or yeah. something like but it's not the case right that's right any any just memorable uh, stories from from your time uh, working at the casino um let's. See, um, as, as far as as far as a memorable story, um, I'll, I'll go I'll go back to when when I first started. Like I said, I started I was a dealer, so I dealt for maybe a year before I got promoted, and they realized what I was capable of doing for them. Um, I was, and, and again, never. I guess I could say never rule out the dealers running you down because I was the dealer that was running you down as I'm dealing the cards. And I'm talking to you and I'm calling my game like any good dealer would do, you know, as I'm going around the table, 16, sir, 18, you know, 12. And I'm asking Colin, how's the kids doing? And um, uh-huh. and then I'm going to back on my head like, OK, I got a running, uh, you know, plus seven right now. And uh, I'm just like running the table down as I'm dealing. And uh, I actually had a guy that was doing maybe a 10 to 200 bet spread on my table one night. And I brought it to my shift manager's attention and told them exactly what happened. They thought I was crazy. Then I found out later that they went back a day or two later after that and reviewed the videos and found out that, yes, I was correct. This person was an EP. Now it's, you know, three, four or five days later. It's too late. They're gone. They took your money. Then they came back to me and confirmed that yes, you were you were correct. So that was uh, that was when I pretty much got my start um, moving yeah. away from dealing. There was a story way back in the day. There was a casino that we played a ton, and um, this was Ben, who I played with 
uh, initially and ran teams with, he he had a dealer say to him, hey, Ben, the count's 10. And Ben said, the running count or the true count? And he said, what? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, the dealer claim, claims he can count, but I don't, I don't know if I can trust anything he's saying. Yeah. But that's the only time. That was that was um, yeah that that was good. I actually I actually uh, yeah I I did enjoy the uh, the the dealing and the, you know the getting to know people and talking and things like that. But uh, well, I know it gave I me know a you, really good insight as to what you know what goes on on the other side. I know that you backed off a mutual friend of ours multiple times. So <laughs> now now you're gonna get to play around a golf with them. So that's <laughs> I'm yeah I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Looking forward to that. Um, and actually, um, yeah, he's. If it wasn't for being so well known, he does, he does have uh, you know really good game. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he does. Thanks. Thanks so much, Phantom, for for sharing right. from, from your well, side. This, you. was, this was really cool. And uh, enjoy that round of golf. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thank you. Thank you.